0: morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Okay. How many of you are ready for your kids to go back to school? Yeah. Okay. I knew some of y'all would be struggling already. It was like Tuesday morning, Riley said, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. So we grounded her. <clears throat> Let me just take just a minute and kind of bring uh, everybody up to speed. First of all, two weeks ago, I want to thank uh, Craig for speaking uh, did a great job, brought a, a good word. Uh, last week, I want to uh, thank my wife for bringing such a great word on Mother's Day. Uh, she did very, very well. Um, I want to talk to you who are sending me emails saying, can she speak every week? Um, you know, knock it off, okay? It was funny on Monday, but by Friday, I was sick of it. So, okay, stop it. Um, I want to tell you how the summer is going to look. We got a few um, things that w- that we're planning uh, for the summer just to keep, uh, you know, honoring families and to kind of keep us together. It's obviously uh, vacation time. Uh, you're going to be able to look around with uh, students gone and families traveling, And uh, but just thank you so much for your faithfulness. In terms of the weekend experience, um, we are starting a new series today that will go through Father's Day, and it's going to be on parables. And so um, I'm going to be talking about the words that Jesus taught on and uh, why those were so important and what they mean to you and I, etc., and then the month of July, we are, for those of you who don't know how, how New Life, the New Life Church model is, we have 17 campuses and we, we team preach or speak, uh, meaning that we all kind of traverse through um, a text together or a series together, but July, um, it's campus pastor choice. And so I am uh, going to be teaching something that um, we're not going to be doing across the state. And I've chosen to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the postmodern church, and uh, there's a lot of reasons why I'm doing that. But I'll do every Sunday in July will be about this. And so let me kind of tell you my heart on it. Um, the when we talk about the Father, you know, it's it's like we have all this this incredible backstory and so much information about God the Father. And we have studied and studied and studied, and and you can take the characteristics of God and and try your best to unfold those for an entire lifetime. Uh, We've tried it for centuries upon centuries and still have only tapped the surface on what we believe entails the character of God the Father. And so we're like, you know, we're great with God, and then we get to Jesus Christ, and we're excited, and we feel redeemed, and we talk about all of those types of things, and I'll talk more about that story in just a minute. But it's like, you know, we're great with, with Jesus. We almost, you know, growing up, God the Father and Jesus, in our minds, theologically, was like bad cop, good cop. You know, it's like God showed up and would swallow people whole, and Jesus would show up and go, now calm down you know and so you know we had this good cop bad cop mentality of God and Jesus but then Jesus handed the baton off to the holy spirit And there's been 2,000 plus years since the day of Pentecost, and so we have lost some in translation and in story and in experience when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people in the postmodern church are scared of the Holy Spirit, don't understand the Holy Spirit, want to even do away with the Holy Spirit. And so I've decided to take the month of July and kind of tackle some of those taboo topics of what's what's the role of the Holy Spirit in my personal life and for the church as it relates to the postmodern church. And so I, I want you to to uh, tune in for that. Today we start a brand new series on parables, and I just want to begin kind of talking this out and, and building a foundation for the next several weeks and I think that it's it's probable that a lot of us in this room want to get better at something. And you may not use the word change, but that's exactly what it, it it is. You look at at your life or an aspect of your life or a piece of your heart, and you think to yourself, "I wish that I could get better at that." Okay. Now let me give you just a little backstory on myself. When when we uh, hit January, our whole westernized culture uh, starts to make a, a fake list called resolutions, and we write down all these things that we hope we can accomplish. And they go everything from finances to an attitude to a career change to we're going to get back into church or we're going to join a life group. There are all kinds of different aims and directions that people have around January. For me personally, I don't get introspective in January because for some reason we're still moving at the speed of light so for me, summertime is when I typically do more personal, soaking, meditating, thinking about my own life, okay? So if, if I can find a quiet moment sometime, it's, it's really when I will start to say to myself and about myself, what is it that I need to do personally to further myself Uh, to get better at and whatever this blank is that we all carry in our our lives. And I try to fill those in myself, the the blanks there. And so, again, it's probable that we all desire some type of change in our life. And it's probable that we also want to do some fixing in some other people's lives. It may be the person you're sitting next to. Now, I don't want you to look at them weird or nudge them, but we you know, live with people and we think, man, if they would just do this one thing differently. I never say that about Robbie because she's perfect. But everybody else, we think, you know, they, they, if, if they would do this or they would do that, it would make my life so much better. And so we say things to ourselves like, I wish I could be a better friend. Sometimes I say this myself. I have friends scattered in different parts of of the state or around the country, and I will think to myself, you know, I haven't talked to them in a year. I'm a terrible friend, or I miss their birthday. I'm a terrible friend. I should be a better friend, and I'll start to think, what does that look like for them? How how does a better friend even flesh out? For some, you're thinking, I need to be a better student. I'm not just talking about academically, but maybe you think, I need to be a better self-learner. You think to yourself, I need to learn a new skill. You think I need to get in God's Word. I need to start reading some things that challenge me, and you think I need to be a better student at just life in general. And that's where where you're at. Some of you are thinking, I need to get better at choices. Like I'm in the cycle, this endless cycle of, of making poor choices or choices that are just below where I'm I'm, I'm aiming. And so the whole trajectory of your life is a little off because of the direction that you end up going because of choices. Some of you look at your finances and it scares you. You look at where you are with debt, your outlook on finance, you look at things that you'd love to give to but can't, you look maybe at credit cards, and there are things that just scare you. And you know that throughout this whole year, you're going to have birthdays and anniversaries and vacations, and then it's Christmas again, and finances really bother you. And you And so you say, I wish that I could get my mind and my heart even wrapped around my finances and be better at it. For some, it's relational goals only. It's things like, I wish I could be a better husband or a better wife or a better mom, or a better dad, and there's tension in your family, and you feel like you're a part of that tension, and you recognize that, and you even see it in yourself, if I could just reach in and pull that one thing out, our whole family system would be much healthier if I could just fix it, if I could just get better. And so for a lot of us in this place, and I, I want to I just be very, very honest, not because we're in church, but just because when we're talking about these types of topics and confrontational things, it's best to just lay it out and go, you know what, you're right, that's me. But the truth is, some of us, maybe even all of us, are not getting better at any of it. So it's like that, that list of resolutions when it comes to our emotional things and spiritual things and physical things. Man, we here, here we are, it's about to be June, and mentally you've already taken that list of resolutions and wadded it up and discarded it because now to look at it is shameful to you because you see how far behind you are. For some in, in this room, it could be that, the word even, becomes something that we put away just like this list of resolutions. Not because we don't value it, not because we don't think it's good, but because when we get into it, we end up feeling shamed, guilted. And so it becomes much easier for us to just accept and be comfortable with who we are, where we are, almost embrace our reality rather than to be the tip of the spear that's causing change. So this, like everything else, becomes something that we just don't want to see, we don't want to look at. And so you may be here and you're saying to yourself, maybe you'd never say this out loud, but to yourself you've said God's word just does not work for me. Like every time I just get in it, I, I just want to put it down because it's overwhelming to see how behind I am when it comes to betterment or change. And it scares you and it's intimidating. And sometimes maybe you're even shifty while you're listening to a message here because you again feel shamed or guilt. Well, this weekend, we're kicking off this series on parables, and we're going to take a closer look at the words of Jesus and why they were so important to him, therefore, why they should be important to us, okay? I want to pray over us. God, I love you. Thank you for your people. I thank you for this Sunday where we can come together and with just great anticipation, listen to your words And sense your spirit in our heart. And that's what I pray for today. That you would be welcome here. That God, you are not just something on a list to us. But you're our savior. You are the redeemer. And so I welcome you to redeem us. Continue the sanctification process in our lives. Where we can become more and more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start today in Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read to you a very simple but very powerful foundational verse for this this kind of topic. This is what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, you guys keep that on on the screens for just, just a minute. This word let... I really love, as someone who is not a theologian by, by, by training or even even a scholar by training when it comes to, to theology, but someone who just appreciates the value of, of a word and the meaning of a word. This word let is very permissive. It means that I'm not, I'm not trying to earn it, I'm not chasing it, I'm not wooing it. I'm not trying to win it over. I'm just giving it permission. I am letting it. I'm letting the word of Christ, and of course this word dwells means to make a home, a residence, in you richly. Now this word richly does not mean wealth. It means abundance or greatly. So this this could be read this way. Permit the word of Christ to live in you greatly. Okay? And so when we look at it like, like this, the, the challenge here in this particular uh, context, this particular, this original audience, was, was to say, let the words of Christ live in you greatly. Not just a little bit, but, but open up your heart wide to the words of Christ. And that's what I want to challenge us with over the next couple of, of, of weeks. We actually have very limited knowledge of the daily life of Jesus Christ. Now, don't take that as heresy. But there are 66 books in, in the Bible, and only four of them address his daily earthly walk and life and miracles and interactions with people in the flesh. The ones before that were prophetic, pointing toward him. The ones after the gospels was the residual effect of the relational bomb that he dropped on the world and how that ripples through time, continuing to when he returns and we get to be with him forever. But only four books out of sixty-six talk about his daily walk. Only two of those four actually cover his birth and early childhood. One of those gospels go on goes on to inform us that that they couldn't even write it all down. The, declara- the, the declaration there is actually, if if there was if we had written everything down, there wouldn't be enough room. To chronicle it all. Which then, if we take that at face value, it means this. We're missing information. We've got a glimpse, a snapshot of the life of Jesus. But one thing we we know with a lot of confidence when we read the Gospels is that he was an incredible storyteller. He had this great genius and knack for telling a story that had both um, revelation to it and relevance to the people. And so he gave them an opportunity to hear an unveiling of heaven as it related to stories that they were actually experiencing on a daily basis. Very, very, very powerful. And so when we look at the Gospels, we see that one-third of Jesus' teaching are through the delivery of a parable. And if you're just tuning in, or if you're, if, if you're new to us and the language we use, if you're new to following Jesus, just let me tell you what a parable is. A parable is a small story that taught a big idea. It's something that was very quick and to the point, but it took the scales off of your eyes and allowed you to see an amazing truth through a simple story. And that's what made Jesus such a strong communicator. As a pastor, I want to see us grow in our relationship with God. As a follower of Jesus myself, I want to see myself grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the biggest ways that we can do that is to actually hear from God. Hearing. Now, I want to I kind of set this up just a little bit because Luke chapter 8 and verse 8 Jesus actually says this. It says, when Jesus introduced the parables, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As a communicator myself, when I read this, I think it's Jesus, it's possible that this was his lead-in line to say, hey, attention. I want everybody up here. I want all eyes here. I want you to sit up. I want you to put away your phones. I want you to focus in on what I've got to say. This may have been his style of doing that. But I also think it's bigger than that. I think it's because you can have an ear and not hear. I think it's because you can have two ears and not hear. That something can actually be spoken but never heard. This means that listening has to be intentional. It has to be a moment where we have really intentionally carved out the moment to actually listen, not passively, the Greek actually gives us two different words for it for listening. The first is exactly what I just said. It's it's simply hearing, where it means conversational hearing. Like like you're you're talking to me, I'm talking back to you, I'm listening to you, you're listening to me. And I would also describe that with, with the Father as as prayer, like, like we're we're bantering, like I'm talking and I'm trying to feel and sense and and and, and listen, but it's two ways. But then there's another kind of listening, which means hearing to obey, or the kind of listening that is designed for learning. And that that means this, in in the Greek it means, I am going to cease my end of the conversation, and I'm just going to focus in on, on, on listening this is suddenly just a one-way conversation. And the whole goal with great intentionality is for me to walk away having heard. So th- this is not prayer. This is something different. It's, it's a moment where I get with God and I say, speak to me. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me which way to go. And then with all of my being, I do my best to listen to that response. Now, I think this leads us to a very strong truth. Here it is. If we're not changing, it is not a problem with His Word. It is a problem with our listening. Because the Word is strong, and the Word is true, and the Father does not change. He comes in one potency, and it's all of Him. But you and I can miss it. And Scripture is full of times where people missed it. One of the ladies who was in the garden following the resurrection, she thought He was the gardener. She missed it. One of the Gospels that records Him walking across the sea, it says, and He would have passed them by. Meaning that if just one of them would not have said, hey, we see you, he would have just kept on going. So it makes me wonder how many times is God speaking to me in different ways and tones and and all of of these things. And and, and I, I miss it because I'm not using this Greek practice of taking a moment and shutting my mouth and opening my heart and saying, speak to me. I just want to hear it. Right, So open your Bible or your app, and I want to look at Luke chapter 8. This is a strong parable. If you grew up in church, you've known it your whole life. I'm going to read it quickly for time's sake, but I want you to to walk away with the the gist of this for sure. Luke chapter 8, verse 4 is where I'm going to start. And when a great crowd was gathering around, or was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in the parable... A sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and birds came and devoured it. Verse 6. Some fell on the rock as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But then Jesus goes on and he explains this parable, meaning this. He doesn't leave it open for us to interpret. He breaks it down in a great way and says, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean by this. Okay, So verse 11, this is him talking. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard it, and then the devil comes in and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. So they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Verse 14. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those hearing the word, holding it fast, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Okay, So basically, in this parable, he is saying this, the seed represents God's word, and the dirt is the human condition. The dirt is us. And the seed is the word of God. And this is significant. Okay, This has to be a, taking, a, 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 a walk away point for you today. The seed is the same. But the dirt is different. And this is, this is relevant to us. The seed has the same potency. The Word has the same potential. It's it's for everyone. But the dirt, the human condition, where you and I are, is all different. And I want to set the record straight for just a moment. How most of us heard this taught was we turn this into personality types. And it's like we said, well, you know, so and so over here, well, they aren't gonna they are never gonna believe it because they're shallow and it's they're just never gonna take the word. And this guy over here, he's he's like a rock. I mean, he is so, so not in tune with God's spirit. He's never gonna but me, I hear the word and I'm gonna grow from that. Why? Because it's my personality. That is not what he's saying at all. What I believe he's saying is this you and I have the potential to be all of these. You and I, in some shape and form throughout life in different seasons, if we're not careful, we will wane through all of these. The ebb and flow of life will round the corner of all of these types of soil. Jesus is giving us four conditions of the heart, and we can all relate to it. Because some dirt is hard. It is unresponsive. It is dense. Some dirt is rocky. It is impulsive and reckless. Some dirt has thorns. It is worried. And as the parable says, it's distracted. It's got the word, but it looks around at the world. It's just it's distracted. It's drawn over here for a while, and then over here for a while, and then over there for a while. And he's addressing these types of dirt. And he said, but some dirt is good. It's, it's teachable, and it's, it's, it's available. But I want you to, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. The success of the seed has everything to do with where it lands. All of it. The point of the parable is that the landing spot is the emphasis. It's not that the word is being preached, it's not that God isn't speaking. He said, this this stuff is a gimme. It's not that. It's how are you and how am I receiving it? Are we listening? Are we getting it? Or are we just in banter? I mean, are we we really taking it on with the ability to, to learn it and make it part of who we are? Are we making sure that the soil of the soul... He's rich. So I'm going to give you one question this morning. I'm supposed to finish four points, but this happened at the first service too. I'm going to preach one point today. I know you were worried. That's why I'm telling you. Because I hear some of your stumblicks growling, and you're like, oh, gosh, we got four types of soil to get through. I know who you are. I know my church. Okay? So the first and only thing I'm going to cover today is this. Is your heart calloused? Is your heart calloused? And I really want to take my time here for just a minute because if not, we make it superficial. I want you to really think about this. Is your heart calloused? Do you find yourself this morning sitting in a church with a hardened heart? Notice in verse 12, he says, the seed fell along the footpath. Now, the footpath, can we, we, we can take this into a thousand different directions with it, but here, here's the, the metaphor that I want to take on, is that the footpath becomes hardened because of traffic. And what does this mean for us? Well, this means that there are those of you who are in this room who are hardened in your heart because you have too often been the world's doormat. That for, for whatever reason, and by sheer chance, things have happened that you you didn't always volunteer for. Sometimes you were a, a victim of it, of somebody else's choice. And so life for you has been this doormat where people have stepped on you. They've stepped over you. They've gone around you. And you have brought that perspective into your walk with God. You didn't mean to. You don't want it to be this way, but it is. And so now when you look at your life and how it relates to Christ. You think, man, I've been walked on and walked over and I've been abused in various ways, and perhaps you were robbed of innocence early in your life. And so now you've grown up and you got a marriage and a mortgage. But everything for you is wrapped in caution tape. And that's how you live your life. It's not that you would never sit down with me and say, Kevin, I know, I don't, I don't trust God. I don't, I don't feel like anything is going to work out for me. It, it's, it's not that, that you come with that. You just have a lot of caution. You would never say, I don't believe in God. No. That would be ridiculous. But for you, you say, I'm just, I'm just cautious. And then that always comes with a story. I'm cautious because the last time I really loved somebody, this happened. And the last time I really got into a life group or a church and I was authentic with a group of people, this happened. And the last time I just really poured my heart into something, and then there's a story. So for you, you've you've laid this parameter in your life like a crime scene, just caution tape everywhere. Like I'm not going over there, and I'm not going over there. And you 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 can ask. I mean, I'll smile and wave, and you talk about serving or loving God or going to Macau or helping do something that changes people's. I mean, I'll, I'll I'm not going to be rude or anything, but I'm going to be cautious. Because it has a story behind it. I've shared with you many times just about our personal story. And I didn't even know that there was a word for this until a couple of years ago. But spiritual abuse was the word. What that that really means is that there was this person in my life in authority, in biblical authority. And I, 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 I always honor that. And so I'm thinking, you know, I've got these people in my life who are teaching me about Jesus, who who are leading our church, and I'm going to honor that. But when you pulled away layers, the interior of that was sick and unhealthy and just overall, just in general, bad. And it started to play out suddenly we were hurt about that and hurt about this and tired of that and i'd always grown up using the word called into ministry you know like it was it was it was this this thing that was very special and set apart and and it's like you you had to have like like this moment where where you felt like god was saying this is what i want you to do and so i was caught in that like i feel like you've asked me to do something for the church but I got so much resentment for the church, I don't want to do anything. And so there was this time where my wife would have to tell me, like, Kevin, we got to get up and go to church. This was this was like last Sunday. And so, I'm kidding. So she was like, We when you go to church. And here I am supposed to be God's man of faith and power, and I didn't even want to. Go in the parking lot. It was like I was so sick in my spirit that even to drive by a church and see the signage just made me nauseous. It bothered me. It bothered our whole family. And I found Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read you just two things and I'm going to wrap this up. But Ephesians 4 and 27. This is being addressed to the church at Ephesus. And he says, do not give the devil a foothold. And then you say, well, how do I not do that? Okay, keep in mind I'm talking about heart, hardened, calloused hearts. Caution tape. Then he goes on to Ephesians chapter 4, 31, and he tells us, he says this, get rid of all, everybody say all, bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger, get rid of brawling, get rid of slander, and then I love this, and every form of malice. No matter what it looks like to you, get rid of it, and you realize that My spiritual health and the caution tape in my life has all been put up because I put it there. I did it. I wrapped it around this group of people and that group of people and that area over there and this circumstance over here and I wrapped it all around. And before too long, you have locked yourself into this prison of just caution Almost like a spiritual version of paranoia. Somebody's gonna hurt me. Somebody's out to get me in this place. Kevin's gonna lie to us one day. He's gonna lose it. He's gonna teach us some bad stuff. He's gonna he's gonna do this. She's gonna do that. My life group is gonna do that. Da 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 da. da. And then it's just safer. It's just safer on everybody. If if I just kind of tiptoe out slowly, so nobody really notices that I'm 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 leaving. And when I leave this place, then I will also stretch caution tape. Across. So don't think hardened, calloused heart means that you're some spiritual thug that's out here on the periphery who doesn't love Jesus. You can be right here every Sunday morning and have a calloused life wrapped in caution tape. Okay? Now, I'll stop with this. Here's the sad part about this, is that we can spend years of our life in this condition. We can be calloused for decades toward the church, toward a friend group, a parent, an adult child, And this is what I'm finding out, that this stuff runs so deep, you can be callous towards people who are not even alive anymore. Gone. Deceased. And I say that respectfully. But for you, it's like they've never left. So you even guard your thoughts toward them, memories toward them. And this is, is hurting you and your walk with Christ. And You've done it, and I've done it. I was raised in church so long, guys. I know how to do church. Like, like I know what I'm supposed to look like as a believer. But if in here so callous that the Word of God can't fall, that I can't ever get free in my spirit, that the Holy Spirit is knocking on my life and I can't even open the door. It makes us ask the question, are we truly following when we can't get rid of this stuff? Get rid of it. So here's the answer. The Holy Spirit has to have permission let let the word of christ open him up into your life open your life up and let him like a like a spiritual tiller overturn that hard calloused soil overturn it to once again make it receptive and warm, and supple, and inviting. God has a knack of taking something that is broken and irreversible in our minds and turning it for the good. If we will let it happen, we'll open our lives up for that, okay? So I want you to bow your heads for just a second. Let me just...